Hey everybody, it's Ricky, uh, and I am delighted to be joined today by um, Audrey Crash, uh, Crash, who uh, Hausig actual name, but uh, um, we—that's uh, how I was introduced to her. Uh, do you remember how we met? I want to say ex friends was coming through Durham. Yes, that is exactly right. We played a show together, um, and uh, I'll be honest with you. That style punk is not really my type of, of punk rock, but uh, I will tell you, um, you are without a doubt one of the most talented bassists I have ever seen in my entire life. So uh, I, I think you told me Matt Freeman was your favorite bassist, if I remember correctly, or one of your favorites back then. <laughs> I don't, it might be wrong. He's uh, definitely good, so... Uh, and I, I think you are definitely on that level. Uh, I was, I was just blown away. I, I'd never seen, uh, somebody so talented on the base in such a small venue. So, uh, uh, so just a nice little, uh, shout out to you. Very impressive. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, obviously, um, you care a lot about ma uh, music because you are a uh, a very talented musician. So, kind of where where did your passion for music come from? Um, I've always loved music. My brother is a little. I have to take this. All right. Um, sorry. Um, we were talking about uh, just kind of where <laughs> you uh, started your journey into uh, music because. Yeah, I always loved music. My older brother got violin at school. He actually started on the clarinet and was so bad they asked him to switch. Um, maybe not nice of me to share, but oh well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I asked to play violin and I begged, I think, daily for about six months with my parents. Like they did summer lessons through the school. So they, they got me summer lessons when I was about seven and a half, I guess. And I loved that. In high school, I also started playing first upright bass at school, and then for my 16th birthday, I got a bass guitar, um, and I went to college for music, and I've just always loved everything about music. Um, yeah, it's a, I was very fortunate. I grew up in an artist household, so I got um, lots of exposure to music at a very young age. And, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, one of the things – so – what was that transition like for you uh, when you went into the, the bass guitar? Like, did that? Um, well, I did upright bass first. Yeah. Just, you know, through high school. It was, yeah. you know, just there and free. So um, it's not all that different conceptually yeah. from violin. Um, you know, it's a diff you're reading a different clef. The strings are different. Um, but this, they're the same intervals apart, so the way you structure your fingers, it, mm -hmm. you're, you do the intervals in the same way. Um, so it wasn't that different. And then switching to bass guitar from upright bass, it's really um, just physical, but you're doing the same thing. If yeah. you're reading music, you're reading the same notes. Not that I read a ton of music <laughs> while playing bass guitar, but it's, it's the same thing. So... You know, when I met you, uh, you were in a uh, a punk band, um, and mm -hmm. actually I got to play with you in two of your bands, uh, uh, Ex Friends and Pushing It to the Limit. Uh, right? It was Pushing It to the Limit, right? Mm -hmm. uh, okay. I want, I want to make sure I got that right. Uh, 
um, with a letter uh, leader, right? Um, uh -huh. uh, was with you in both of those bands. Yeah. Um, so how did you uh, like, how did you fall into the world of punk rock? Uh, yeah, I mean, I always, I guess, you know, how did I learn about punk? Dif just through, you know, different people and avenues. I was already into punk in high school. And so when I started playing bass guitar, that I was self-taught on. And so I would just listen to the CDs and records that I liked and learn from there. And so my first band in high school was a little eclectic, but mostly a punk band. And then when I moved away for college and moved to Philly, my band there was definitely a punk band. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's the kind of music I favored for the most part, punk metal, even though I like other kinds of music as well. And oh. um, yeah, it's just what I do. So what is, um, you, uh, what was some of the biggest, what were some of your favorite bands? Like what, what is, when you were listening to that got you, uh, that you learned to play along with? Um, Dead Milkman, for sure. They're still my favorite band. Um, they're what Fantastic. helped me make the decision to move to Philly from Long Island. Oh, that's, that's um, excellent. Because, you know, when you're 18, that's the type of decision. Uh, punk rock girl, made. right? Yeah. Um, I learned super chunk early on because it's, you know, was something that you you could hear it well on the CDs and it's not super complicated. So it's something yeah. I was able to just do. It was accessible. Yeah. Those um, were my hometown heroes. Cause I oh, yeah, of course, Carolina, of course. So, yeah. yeah, I still love them. I saw them recently or last year, I guess. Um, I went by myself. Um, oh. Our babysitter fell through. Oh, so. no. Well, I'm still <laughs> going to go. So I went by myself. Just fine. I feel like I'm trying to talk to someone while I'm watching the show. So, yeah, I think early on, those two, just, you know, playing along and learning. Um, yeah, that I, I, that was one of the things I think was uh, very, I think is what really stood out to me with your playing is it was, uh, uh, I don't know that I, it was, I've seen classical guitarists, and I don't know it's quite a classical guitar approach to playing bass, but there was definitely uh, an elegance there that is not regular in um most punk bases, even like exceptional base uh, bases, mm -hmm. uh, uh, tend to be a little more brute force. And you had a lot of uh, flourishes in there that I thought were really neat. Yeah, and I mean, I'll say Dave Blood is one of my favorite bass players um, from the Dead Milkmen, and so mm -hmm. that definitely has an influence. But yeah, I'm classically trained on okay. violin, and I love Baroque music, which is very busy. Yeah, and plays with um, to get nerdy about it you know, shifts in, in like minor and yeah. chords. And um, so I do appreciate that. And I do do put a lot of that on my bass playing. My bass playing, in all honesty, is also, I like to play fast. Because yeah. I do like classical music and I like metal. And there's a lot of... Yes, <laughs> a um, lot of overlap there. There really, really is. So I like that. Also, I've been questioned about my ability to play so much that sometimes I, I think early on showed off. For that reason, because so many people are like, you're the merch girl. Is that really your base? Oh, a fretless play that. So I, um, I mean, consistently all the time. So, I, uh, yeah, that is so I, very. That's, <laughs> I think that. Sorry. Has pushed me to be a little bit showy. Um, I think it's excellent. Excellent. Uh, I enjoy your showmanship. Um, but you also um, 
you know, while I think you are a very talented musician, uh, you, you harness that in a different way professionally, right? So what do you do? What is your your job? So I'm a board-certified music therapist, um, and I work for myself. So I do contracts and I do private practice. And so I work with a variety of people, people, people with people with a variety of ages and needs. A lot of my work is trauma work, so people recovering from trauma, um, from substance use disorders or struggles. Um, I spent, so I've been doing this 20, almost 23 years. I started in a nursing home. Then I worked for five years with people in a residential place who had pretty severe physical disabilities. Um, a lot of people with multiple sclerosis, cerebral palsy, spinal cord injuries, brain injuries. And then I shifted and I worked at an outpatient for substance use and mental health treatment. And then I spent six years at a state psychiatric hospital with adults. And um, then I shifted to another inpatient psychiatric hospital but with um, children and adults um, and then started my private practice. So I kind of work all over. I go to a school. I go to substance use outpatients and patients. I see people individually through telehealth now. So I'm kind of all over. Um, as a music therapist, and I do like continuing education, clinical supervision, and I teach at a university. So, how did you fall like find this career? Like, how, what? Obviously, you know, we've talked briefly about our mutual love for music, but this is such just a wonderful uh, thing that you do. How did you discover it? Yeah, I mean, when I was in high school, and the guidance counselor said, "What do you want to do?" and I said, "Music," and he's like, "Well, pick something for real." And I said, I don't know, social work, but I still went to school for music. Just that's what I, my, it was not well thought out. You know, I spent thousands of dollars on a college education just because I wanted to move away. I've got an English degree. I understand. Uh, but it worked out because I went to Temple and Temple had a music therapy program. I think I initially did music theory because I didn't get into performance. Um, and when I learned about music therapy, I was like, oh, like, this is my purpose in life. It was just very obvious that this is what I wanted to do. So I was able to transfer over, and Temple had an amazing program. Um, I got to study with um, Dr. Cheryl Dilio and Dr. Ken Brusha, who they wrote a lot of the books that people use all over the country and even all over the world for music therapy training. So I learned about it, and it just um, was just so perfect. It was just super lucky. You know, Temple was a safe school for me. I'd applied to conservatories. I had no hope of getting in, not on violin. Had I done on bass, I probably would have, but not on violin. Um, Neville was my safe school, and my brother was in school in Philly, um, and, you know, the Dead Milkmen were my favorite band, so I was like, why not? I'll go to Philly. Yeah. And it was, like, complete luck. Yeah, just meant to be. Yeah. Destiny, I don't know. It was very, very lucky, because it's really the perfect thing for me, because I am, I've always been very invested um, in working with people, and trying to um, help them, you know, get to where they want to be at. And I was the kid, like, fifth grade. My teacher would call me to the back of the room, and I'd sit with him during, I guess, quiet times or work times, and he would tell me his troubles and his concern about other students, which was highly unethical. But, like, mm -hmm. I'm that person who people talk to, always Yeah, yeah. So kind of, it was really serendipitous. Um, how is, like, so do you feel, because, I, I mean, to me, uh, sorry, I, I'm thinking of how I want to say this, because to me, uh, 
you know, music has been therapeutic for me my whole life, right? It's been a safe space for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But the idea of music therapy to me is something that had just never occurred. Like when you, when I discovered, like we became Facebook friends, I discovered that was your career. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, wow, that is um, a brilliant combination. Like that makes total sense. So how long has uh, music therapy been around? Like how long has this field? Yeah, I mean, people have used music for healing since forever. Right. Um, as a as a profession in this country, since after World War II, people were using music in the hospitals as um, people came back with injuries. Um, so it's been a profession since the you know 40s and 50s. Um, and what differentiates music therapy and just therapeutic music is yeah, we all use music therapeutically in our own lives. Right. Um, in our communities, but what music therapy is specifically is that there's a therapeutic relationship with the music therapist there's assessment there's goal setting there's evaluation so we're using music specifically in a way to help that person figure out what their goals are um to build this safe space no space is safe but the yeah safest possible space with the therapist and to work towards their goals um how like, so is this a growing industry, do you feel like, and uh, I mean, more and or like more widely accepted or more pro- not accepted practice? I'm trying to think of the right way. To yeah, say. I mean, it's definitely a newer profession. Yeah. Growing, a lot of people still don't know what it is or still, um, there are a lot of misconceptions about it, that it's like, yeah, sticking an iPod on an older person is music therapy. That's not, and that could actually be pretty dangerous because if you think about it, music can really bring up a lot of strong emotions. Yeah. Or yeah. memories, and so we don't want to do that to somebody and ab- abandon them. We want to be really intentional and careful about how we use it. So, yeah, it's a growing profession. Um, it's getting licensed in more and more states recently. Um, I don't think North Carolina has a license. Virginia and Maryland just got their license, and it's 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 happening. They have over – I think they have close to 200 licensed music therapists in Maryland now. Um, Pennsylvania is working on it, New Jersey – has a license bill approved and they're just ironing out the details. New York has a creative arts therapy license. So it's growing in that way. The license is important because then um, it can increase access. Um, that's uh, I actually one cap, uh, one note. I moved to Richmond, Virginia a few years ago for okay. uh, my wife's job. So um, okay. uh, uh, that's exciting to hear it's <laughs> in Virginia. I'm going to have to see uh, uh if I can find a music therapist here. Yeah, uh, their their bill is passed, but I don't think it's in effect yet. Okay. Maryland's happened really, really fast from when it got passed and signed to when it was implemented. I don't think Virginia's is implemented yet, but there's lots of music therapy in Virginia. So what is, what is music therapy kind of, you, you were touching on that a little bit. And if you could, yeah, I mean. What is it? Yeah, what, what yeah. is it? Yeah, I mean, really. it's really different in different settings. So if um, in the hospital, I'm thinking, I was just at the hospital with my child and her broken elbow. In the hospital, a music therapist might help a child get through a procedure. So they might do some songwriting about the procedure ahead of time to work through the fears and then play the song while the procedure is being done. So they're focused on the music and working through their anxieties or fears and not focused on whatever's happening to them. I do a lot of group work and a lot of group work in mental health and substance use. And so how it goes is um, 
And this is, you know, what I share. We've got group from this time to that time. Um, we usually do a check-in where folks are invited to share how they feel, what they're working on or what's important to them. Maybe speak on something that happened in the last group if it's a consistent group of people. And so once we do this check-in, we decide a topic together. And then I'll offer some things to do with the music to work on the topic. So if the topic was um, working on self-worth, I'd say, should we get the instruments out and play together and improvise on just how you feel about yourselves as a group? Should we write a song about what you struggle with with self-worth? Or um, maybe some validating affirmations about self-worth? Or should we maybe listen to songs that explore self-worth and talk about them? So then they've got a choice to improvise, do songwriting, or listen. Or we could also, if it's a familiar song, we could um, play the song together. You know, we could recreate it. Like, um, and, and I'm assuming uh, <laughs> for a lot of uh, people here, uh, they are probably novice uh, musicians, right? They are Absolutely. Learning. Yeah, some people are incredible musicians with tons of experience. Some people have never played before. So um, I bring instruments that are accessible, so a lot of percussion. If With a piano, if someone just plays on, say, the white keys, I know what to do on the guitar or on another piano to make that fit. The accompany, yeah. Right? Yeah. So uh, we're playing in the same key. So... If they're on the piano on the white keys, I'm in C major or A minor. Yeah. They can do a xylophone. Um, on the guitar, what I'll do is I'll tune it down so that it's a D chord, either mm -hmm. D major or D minor, because you don't have to, I can do that really quickly, and all they got to do is strum. Yeah. Um, so that yeah. it fits yeah. um, harmonically and it's accessible to everybody. And so while the clients are playing, I'm <clears throat> making space. I'm mirroring what they're doing or doing a call and response. I'm kind of holding. I'm say, maybe playing a bass line on the guitar or on the piano that is repetitive and kind of gives them some grounding and support. But yeah, nobody needs to have prior experience. It's done in a way that's accessible to everyone, regardless of experience and regardless of physical ability. So we try to make the instruments accessible. If there was something physical where they couldn't grab or um, or reach. Now, sometimes in physical rehab, when you want someone to reach, this is the wrong kind of drum, um, right? You're going to put the drum here so the person has to reach for it, right? Mm -hmm. Or has to grab the yeah. mallet, yeah. Um, depending on what it is they're working on. Um, not to coerce them, but when we hear a beat, like we want them, our bodies yeah. want to move to the beat. Yeah. And yeah. so our body's going to like, you know, if you're just saying stretch out like this, your body's like whatever. But if yeah. it needs to hit that drum to hit the beat. We're giving it an activity, yeah. Yeah, but especially if a song is familiar, um, the body's going to want to do it and it's going to make us push. Um, so that's an example of adults. We do a lot of processing, you know, and talking about with adults, kids, not so much. We're just, we're in it, we're rocking out, but we're doing it yeah. in a way that, again, is meeting their goals. If the kids are overstimulated, we're doing movements that are making our bodies like, you know, cross, this is our midline, the bodies are crossing midline so that the body regulates. Um, we're taking turns, we're working on transitions, again, just depending on the needs and it's just so individual. It's for me, I'm always shifting in the moment to hopefully meet people's needs That's and a, uh... to have them lead.
Uh, this is just like I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It's uh, fascinating to me. It's something. Uh, I mean, I I think um, uh, we're in roughly the same age range, in the forties, uh, I believe, and uh, you're um, a little bit older than me. But I imagine we had a similar childhood, and that therapy in the United States was uh, even at that point. It was just starting. The taboo was starting to break down a little bit on therapy and in popular culture uh, in the 90s, really. And uh, so I did went to therapy at 16. But what you're talking about, I think, uh, man, would have been transformative for me. Yeah. So uh, like, um, I'm glad that this is out there. Uh, I'm like, yeah. Just hearing you talk about it, it's like, wow, I could have, uh, that would have really helped me channel a lot of my, uh, like, frustration. Because I, I did, <laughs> I got into punk. I think a lot of the reasons a lot of people did is, uh it, it it was more of a therapeutic thing for us, right? Like sure. a way to deal with these negative emotions. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I'm, after, sorry, go ahead. I cut you off because I'm excited. I apologize. No, you good. When I work with with teenagers, especially inpatient psych, which is such a hard place to be, in addition to whatever brought yeah. them there, you know, when you ask them to just talk about what's going on with them, that's really hard for them. But if they're allowed to share a song. Teenagers have songs. They yeah. have all the songs. The yeah. teenagers are ready. And so a kid who might not want to talk to somebody, especially some weird old adult, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, from a, Especially when there's a different cultural background, yeah. and cultural yeah. identities. It's like, who is this 46-year-old lady? Yeah. This weirdo. But if I say, can you share a song? Just share how you feel. We listen to their song, which validates. And their song might... The, the artist might have experienced the same thing as them. Yeah. And so now they're sharing about yeah. trauma or what they've been through or just even just how they feel. Yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, that's something, um, uh, I think the past few years, uh, have really caused a lot of people to become more introspective, uh, mm -hmm. And um, one of the things my wife and I have, I've noticed is uh, we've she's gotten much more into music, uh, which makes me happy uh, because it's probably my greatest passion. Um, and uh, and now like she's actually listening to songs in the way that I do, like hearing we are talking about, oh, look at how they did a, a you know, um, a tempo change here or how they're using uh dissonant sounds to create you know feeling like or and this is how the lyrics are interplaying like because then i think pop music songwriters are very talented and some pop songs do really make me feel things but i think one of the things i've always found in like uh you know punk rock and alternative rock and and in hip-hop and uh, a lot of emotion like emotion driven music uh mm -hmm. they they do a lot of using the songs and the words to tell you a story uh, that does help me connect with, hey, I know what you're going through. I felt that. The way that song sounds is what it sounds like in my head sometimes. Yeah, so uh, Absolutely. Uh, so I just, you know, for me, uh, I think that's <laughs> wonderful. Uh, and I just want to tell you, I'm so glad I got to, uh, you, you shared a little bit about that. Um, we are going to take a little break. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about music venues and uh we're okay. both doing this off the top of our head, so this will be interesting. We're doing okay. a, a top 10 venues uh, to play in. Uh, I am back with uh, Audrey Hausig, uh, which uh, for this half, I think, will be more the crash side. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, top 10 
venues uh, we've played, um, and we're doing this off the top of our domes, so uh, it should be it should be fun. So you want to kick off? What's your number ten? Yeah, I mean, oh wait, am I supposed to go with not my favorite? Yeah, we're gonna go uh, lowest to build high. up. Yeah. Okay. So I gotta save the best for last then. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, all right, I'm just going to go with the last place I played, which is Century Bar in South Philly. Um, not a drinker, and it is a bar, but it's very laid back. The guy who runs it, Jay, been in the scene forever, and yeah, you just go and you play. Um, he's cool as a sound guy. Um, and yeah, you just go and play, and it's cool, and I like that, and it's kind of close by to where I live. Um... All right. Uh, I, uh, for me, I think um, I'm going to go with the place I actually played with you. We really like playing there. Uh, Andy Clark was doing sound back then uh, in the main stage. It's cool. It's a cool spot. Uh, and my favorite place I've ever played in Philadelphia is Kung Fu Necktie. That's uh, okay. a, uh, uh, I just, I love the venues where you can get the the main stage and the, like where they have the side stage because I think it makes it more accessible to more bands and makes it better for uh, tour. And and it was cool just because uh, it feels like such a Philly place. I mean, the church. Uh, I've never played the church, so I can't put that on my list. Uh, but I imagine that's probably a great place to play. But uh, uh, Kung Fu Necktie is one of my favorites I've ever played. So. Um. I'm realizing that, like, when I think of, like, big venues, like, when you play a huge show, like, it's kind yeah. of cool, but none of those are my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> All my favorites are little. Yeah. Like, it's a cool experience to be on the big stage, but once yeah. or twice is enough for yeah. some places I, uh, for me. I, I love small spaces, uh, especially if the crowd gets excited. So. Mm -hmm. um, um, All right, so what's your number nine? Okay, I'm going to say... It's hard to put these in order, but I'll say there was this place. It was a house in South Carolina, Greensville. Um, and ex friends played there. And um, it was a tiny little living room. And it was amazing. And all the people started doing this. And we're like, what's going on? Are they going to jump us? Like, what's happening? And um, they cleared the floor and they did a pyramid, a human pyramid. Oh, wow. And also, it was with ex-friends we played. They crowd-surfed Joel, who is not a crowd-surfing person. <laughs> no. The last person who would probably ever crowd-surf. They just picked him up. He's big, too. He's yeah. maybe six, three, or four. I he's... could see Joel being very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, he, it was so uncomfortable. It was amazing. I love that show, and I love that venue. And it was, yeah, just living room of a tiny little house, and the crowd was so cool. That's, uh, that's fantastic. I, um... And I think it's Alex who does um, Hears, H-I-R-S. Oh, oh, excellent. I've been told how to say it many times, and I can't um, retain it. I think yeah. it was their house. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, that's uh, one involved, of the things I've, um, I think has been really cool. Just quick aside, uh, is just the, like, wave of queer core bands that have come out in the last, uh, especially as trans identity has become more... Um, more accepted thankfully uh it's been really cool just to see uh just these waves of punk bands that are like 
really getting to be themselves. Uh, Absolutely. The, the good side of punk rock. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, okay, so my number nine um, is uh, I just loved playing there because it was one of the coolest venues I've ever been in. We didn't have a great show there. Uh, I imagine if we had a great show there, uh, it would have been better. Nirvana played there when they got back together. It's St. Vitus in Brooklyn. Uh, it is a metal bar. Everything in there is black. The bartenders were super, like, black toilets. Uh, like, it is <laughs> such a heavy metal bar. Uh, we were not a heavy metal band. Um, uh, but it's such a cool venue. Uh, the bartenders were really chill. And uh, we didn't have a great show there, but the show there was fantastic. Um, and uh, I, um, yeah, so St. Vitus. Uh, okay. If you've never been there, I would check it out. Um, okay. Um. All right, number eight, I'm going to say, and maybe think of Nirvana, this was maybe higher on my list, but is in my mind now, is the the, the milestone. Oh, yeah, that might show up later on mine. Oh, I've, yeah. I've played there a lot of times, and I think this was not supposed to be shared, but it was now a previous owner. We once stayed there overnight because we know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty common. <laughs> okay, okay. Like, don't awesome. but I mean, at this point, it was over 10 years ago at least. Yeah. I love playing there. It's a cool, cool place. Yeah, Buck is uh, Buck's awesome. Uh, Wiley Buck, the uh, owner. He used to be someone named Neil. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, Buck took over I think yeah. five years ago. Okay. I don't really remember. He'll he'll correct me. I'm sure. Uh, but uh, he uh, yeah, <laughs> the Milestone is one of my favorite venues. Um, uh. Mine is, uh, my next one is going to be um, a place that uh, we played a lot um, in Cleveland. It's a house show. It's called Dag House. Okay. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to play that in two different bands. Um, one of my friends, there are a couple of my friends in a band, Two Hand Fools, which are now uh, some of them moved on to uh, Heart Attack Man which is a moderately successful, pretty, like, building popular band. Uh, uh, but it was just a really cool house space in Cleveland. And uh, I think it was right down the street from the house in A Christmas Story, uh, if I remember correctly. My C Cleveland friends probably will correct me, but it was a cool spot. Uh, always had great shows, and there's just so many great bands in Cleveland. So um, that's my number eight. Nice. I started making a list, so I'm not off the top, but I want to, like, not leave things. Yeah, off. But I haven't good. figured out my seven yet. Um, um, I'm going to say, and I do have one big venue on here. Um, for my seven, um... Now I'm stuck. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the Trocadero in Philly, which I think oh, I nice. ever played is like, um, like I don't think my band ever played a set there, but I played a couple of times, like jumping in on a song. Yeah. Once, like on violin, once maybe vocals, something like that. But that's <laughs> like, like such just a important place in history, and so. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, now, there, but... There's a lot of great. <laughs> landmark venues in philly uh that's cool. uh um and i'll also say hopefully this isn't breaking confidentiality but 20 plus years ago when i worked in the nursing home 
I worked with somebody who had been a burlesque dancer there and I just loved her. And, you know, she was in her nineties yeah. at this point. Yeah. And it, I just thought that was so cool. That is, uh, I, uh, man, I love like venue histories, especially the ones that have been around for a long time when you get in there and just the stories that come out of there. Of, uh, I, I think one of my favorite things about people who tour and people who don't is when you are in, you get into that touring world, you realize just how small the world is. Like mm-hmm. it shrinks immediately because yeah. it's like those, those big time bands were here a little while ago and you're playing the same places they were and you get to learn who the cool people were the people that weren't so cool were uh um so we're on seven right um yeah my number seven is a place i've probably played more than anywhere uh it's in durham it's where i got married um it's motorco music hall um i like this i got it was it was where i got married so i clearly love it uh played a lot yeah, of shows i think i've there. played there um it's not quite as good when they since they got rid of the garage stage uh now it's just a i think we probably played a show there together uh, yeah um and if we can be when you can be in the garage stage back in the old days you could pack pack in 30 40 people and it would be a good crowd whereas you really need to get into the hundreds in the main room to make yeah. and that's that can be tough to pull on a, like a a punk show uh in in durham but uh it, when it was a good place, when <laughs> main stage, when you got enough people in there and garage stage, both of them I really enjoyed playing at because I and I played it the most. So it's got to make a, a spot on here. I appreciate it. Not that this happened, but when we played there, there was a really young band that played and oh, they yeah. said something homophobic and the sound guy immediately yeah. off the microphones and was yep. like, nope, you're done. Yep. And I appreciate it. The response. Um, yeah, and you know, um, I actually reached out to that kid after that happened, and I was like, "Hey, you know, you you screwed up, but that's not the end of your world." Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and he came, he apologized uh, publicly, and he's like, uh, "One of the things I really uh, appreciated about that kid, I never really got the band wasn't my kind of music, but uh, he he owned what he did and apologized for that's it." What and you I, do. I was like, "Hey, you know." Yeah. Like it was just a, a local show, but you didn't run away from it. Good for you. Yeah, and uh, absolutely, we've all said things we shouldn't have said because we didn't. Great. know. I listen. If I the internet had existed when I was a kid, I said a lot of abhorrent things. Uh, I, I had to learn a lot of bad behavior. Uh, yeah. Uh, in, in punk bands, especially, <laughs> it's there. So. Um, yeah. All right. What's your uh, number six? Number six. I'm gonna say CBGB because. Oh, I'm jealous. So cool. <laughs> And it's in New York City, so, like, my dad and my brother came. And yeah. Yeah, CBGBs for sure. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, I would have loved to have uh, one, of, one of the greatest. Um, my number <laughs> um, six, I'm going to go with um, – I only played there once, uh, but the sound was great. The venue was great. The crowd was great. It's the Atlantic in Gainesville. Um, I just had a really good show there. Um, well, actually, we uh, funny enough, we had a terrible show because we played with a, a bluegrass band, a solo guitarist, we, and we were kind of pop punk emo band. Um, uh, and uh, we were the only ones with drums, and our drum pedal broke on the first song. Uh. Uh, so we just kind of winged it. But the crowd was great, and everybody gave us a hard time, but in a good-natured way. Uh, 
and it was just a really fun show and but the sound was incredible and it was a like treated us well great place to play so um now we're into our top five i know i feel like i've run out of like places so i'm just gonna have to go um okay i'm gonna say beaumont warehouse in philly i loved playing there it's down the street it's in west philly by me and it was a great place to play um my number five is i was already on your list uh it's the milestone uh, I played there in, in college, and I played there um, as an adult. Uh, they've always treated us well. Uh, they're, I mean, the history in that place for North Carolina is outrageously good. Um, and uh, it's just, uh, uh, it's a great venue. <laughs> if, if you get a chance to go, and they've cleaned <laughs> up the bathrooms, so they have real bathrooms okay. now, <laughs> which is, for a punk venue, <laughs> is a... Uh, that's outrageously good. Um, yeah, I feel like there has definitely been, you know, like when you're on tour and you get like a running joke in the van. Yeah. There's been jokes that have come from that bathroom that have like stuck with us for the yeah. rest of the tour. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. I, uh, I've i seen some really great shows there too. Um, yeah, I love it there. Uh, what's your number four? All right, my number four, I'm going to say Fun Rama, which was this little house in the 90s late 90s in West Philly. Um, that was some of my first, like, real house shows that were in, like, like, real, like, punk house. It was my first punk house show, I'll say it that way, that were, it wasn't a warehouse, and I loved it, and it was great. Um, oh, wait, I'm thinking of the wrong place. I'm thinking of House of Conflict, and I'm pic- and I said, I'm picturing House of Conflict. House of Conflict and Friend Rama was the same kids, only they moved. They were both just great West Philly houses, basement, treacherous stairs, packed, amazing. Yeah, I uh, I played a, a show on uh, the row houses in Philly, mm-hmm. and um, it was great. It was great. Uh, we played the same night as uh, Hop Along, though, so that was like they were, everybody was like, even the person who put the show on was like, I want to go to that Hop Along show, so we got to get through I mean, this. It's, all, it's almost all row houses. Everything is rows. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> The the load in is treacherous, but uh, um so we're on number four, right? Yes. Uh my number four is a Richmond house show that doesn't do shows anymore, but when they did, it was Church of Abe. Um it was run by Corey Call or um Corey Chubb, excuse me. Um and uh it was just a uh it was a great spot and it was always packed. Like, I've seen so many shows there. I've played a couple of shows there. Uh, always packed, so. Um. Um, all right, my number three is The Kill Time, which was a warehouse through the 90s and into the 2000s on Lancaster Avenue in West Philly, and it was just amazing. There were three warehouses side by side. My number one is one of the others, but just amazing. I, uh, that whole like, block and that was like when I first moved to Philly so that was like my introduction to the scene here and it was just oh man yeah common. that's uh that's magical um my number three is a loft apartment that is no longer doing shows because you know this is the nature of house shows uh it was called uh what we talk about when we talk about Alston uh we played a, a loft apartment and uh it is 
to this day, the single best show I've ever played in my life in any band I've ever been in. I was afraid we were going to collapse the floor. Uh, the, the crowd went wild. The show was great. Um, I mean, we had people asking us to come back to Boston, like, the next day. Like, like when are you coming back? And uh, uh, unfortunately, that band broke up before we ever got to get back up there. But uh, um, it, there are people in, in my life that uh, – um, still talk about that show because of how like legendary it was so, nice. um so i only played there once but that that was the best show of my life so it's got to make the list uh, all right i'm on number two i'm realizing that i forgot this place in um morrisonville new york by plattsburgh which i love to play at but i'm gonna they get on they should have been like up on the list i'm gonna say <laughs> the pleasure bungalow for number two with my friend Chris Pilout's basement, um, <clears throat> and he had shows there for several years. And yeah, West Philly basement show, best thing in the world, almost always packed and raucous and amazing. And he did Halloween shows, and you could get a discount if you rock candy. And then we just eat all the candy. And remember once the cops came, we were being assholes and. I was the one to like go talk to them and have them move on. And I forgot that I was completely, it was either Bride of Frankenstein or Zombie. It was one of those two. And I caught my reflection in the car window and I was like, oh, I'm talking to cops like this. But it worked yeah. out. They left us alone. All right, um, number two. <laughs> uh, my number two is a, a defunct Richmond landmark that's been in multiple venues, but was most recently Strange Matter. Um, I actually the la very last band I was in, uh, which we ended at the pandemic, um, was uh, played the last day of Strange Matter, and uh, I um, man a great venue. Uh, I was lucky to play there once uh, in that band, but uh, um, it that just it's an iconic spot in Richmond. Lots of great bands have played there. Sounds great. They, they're very Richmond venue and everybody's hoping at some point somebody will come in and reopen it because yeah. it's a bummer that it's it's gone so. yeah um all right so what's your number right, one my number one I know I'm doing a lot of old I guess it's because we like to reminisce but it's yeah. Dog 13 which was my first real punk show in Philly not like because then we played like we pushed our way into frat houses on Temple's sure. campus and play, but this sure. was my first real show yeah I mean, when I say just like heaven, it was, it was just punk show. It was a dilapidated warehouse. When it rained outside, it rained in. Um, one of my best friends ever, Mikey Brosnan, um, is the one he he rented it, and it was just like an old garage warehouse, and turned yeah. it into one of the best punk venues ever. And I played there a bunch. I remember we played with Anal Cunt. and people were climbing the walls. It was so outrageous. Um, yeah. yeah so that was just a definitely formative experience getting to spend time there and be a part of that was in West Philly also yeah that's uh that's wonderful I um my number one is in Chapel Hill North Carolina it is an underground bar uh called, appropriately called the cave it is very small room uh it, I have, you play to 10 people and it feels packed, but mm -hmm. I have played to 100 plus people in that room before. I have seen shows spilling over in capacity. 
the bar staff there was fantastic. Uh, like the the sound guy, sound was amazing because the room was so small. The acoustics in there, like where in it had kind of this weird cave uh, thing they'd put down there, and I thought you go in there, you got to be hunched over to play. You're like, no way is this going to sound good. The acoustics were incredible. Yeah. Like they they made your band sound better than they were than you were. Um, it was like a house show uh because uh it felt like you were in somebody's like living room um there no stage uh there's just a stage area but uh best venue i've ever played i've seen some of my favorite shows of all time there but without a doubt hands down if if i could only play one venue it would be the cave i would do it at any time so uh uh well Audrey, uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for right. teaching me more about the world of music therapy. Uh, and uh, I hope you have a great day. And I hope your daughter's elbow uh, heals up nicely. I'm sorry to hear Thank about you. that. Thank you. Thanks.